So I want to read Matthew chapter 1, a few verses. And I'm going to preach this message to you, the Lord's given me, out of Matthew chapter 1. And the title of the message is, It's Time to Wake Up. <laughs> so, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24 is a key verse. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what God told him to do. Would you just... Do me a favor and look at your neighbor, your favorite neighbor, and tell him it's time to wake up. Amen. Thank you, Samantha. I love this story. I love Matthew chapter 1 because it's the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective, and as a man... I can relate with Joseph's perspective much more than I can relate with Mary's perspective. And I think, unfortunately, Mary gets all the glory at Christmas time. Um, most church services, you're going to hear a reading of Luke chapter 2, which is the Christmas story from Mary's perspective. In fact, our, our family, part of our tradition of Christmas is every Christmas morning, uh, the kids wake us up at an ungodly hour, <laughs> and then we say, sorry, it's got to be light out. This is part of the routine, right? Not planned. They wake us up. We come, you know, they come back at dawn. We get up. Oh, hold up. We got to get coffee first. Ugh. Get the coffee. We get out there. And the kids grab presents, and then they sit and go, come on, come on, come on. Like, come on, get the Bible. It's like, all right. And we read Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, because it's just a very beautiful telling. 
You know, it's just very uh, whimsical. It's like a whimsical, beautiful telling of the Christmas story. Um, and that's probably why we, we like to read that version. And so we read that version, and then we sing happy birthday to Jesus, and then we pray and thank God for giving the greatest gift, and it's so cool. On Jesus' birthday, it says when he rose from the dead, he took captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. And so on, on our birthdays, we get gifts, but on Jesus' birthday, he gives gifts, and it's just a beautiful thing, and we thank him for that, and we give gifts in honor of Jesus Christ, who is the reason for the season. And really, he's the reason for everything in our existence in the air we breathe. Amen? And so we thank God, and then we dive in, and uh, we open gifts. Um, Mary gets all the glory, though, right? Luke chapter 2. We had one Christmas here that my daughter, who was like first grade, had memorized Luke chapter 2, and we had her recite it. And I, I was as blown away as anybody else. I was like, wow, that's amazing. You can memorize that. But it was so, so beautiful. Luke chapter 2. Mary gets all the glory. All the songs are about Mary. Breath of heaven, right? That's a beautiful song, Mary's perspective. Mary, did you know? Classic. Um, I don't particularly enjoy that song as a theologian uh, because, yes, she knew, right? <laughs> that song asked that question about 300 times. And I don't know if the Grammys have a category for best Christmas song. I don't know if it's ever won that, but if, if the Grammys had a category for most rhetorical song, <laughs> that song's going to win. When it comes on the radio, I do not turn the station out of spite, and I listen, and every time it's like, maybe did you know? I'm like, yes! <laughs> she knew. And that's why I have trouble relating with Luke 2 version. Because an angel came to Mary before anything got weird and said, here is what is going to happen. And he explains everything. And she responds beautifully. And she knew that this is probably going to be hard. She probably knew this is not my plan for my life. So there were some hard aspects. I don't know about you, but I can go through difficult things if I know what's going on. And I know how long it's going to last. But when life's confusing, when life is hard and I have no idea what's going on, that's when I have trouble relating. And so Mary knew. Joseph did not know. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, it says that before they came together, they're engaged to be married. Now, in this day and age, you had to have a legal divorce to break off an engagement. And so the, the betrothal or the engagement was actually legally binding. And then the wedding, which was usually six to 12 months later, um, was where it was just a celebration, right? And then after the wedding is where they would live together and, and of course, consummate the marriage in, in intimacy. But it says she is found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand in that verse, that's from the narrator's perspective, who knows all. The narrator knew she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph had no clue. And we know that because the next verse says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
And that's why it required a divorce, because it was legally binding the betrothal at this time. But that tells us Joseph had no idea. So Joseph thought that she had been unfaithful. So when Joseph finds out the quote-unquote best news the world has ever heard, to him it seems like the worst news he's ever heard. This young woman, he has, they knew each other, obviously. They fell in love. They're making plans. This is Joseph's plan for his life, revolves around this young woman. He loves her so much. And then he finds out, oh my goodness, you're pregnant? I know that's not me. So now Joseph is utterly confused. His closest relationship is strained, and that's putting it lightly. And he's just heard what to him is the worst news of his life. I like how Bob Goff says it. He says, be patient when things get weird. The angels explained things to Joseph after he talked to Mary, not before. I resonate with that. I resonate with Joseph. Joseph had no clue what was going on. I mean, Joseph is like every dad on Christmas morning <laughs> that are as surprised as the kids when he finds out what he got for his kids for Christmas. I was sword fighting with my boys at our house a few weeks ago, and we all had a different sword, toy, toy swords church. <laughs> and I had the, the plastic lightsaber ones that like shoot out, you know, and I was like, I was, I mean, we get pretty physical I was pounding on these kids right and I, I'm gonna be honest I was dominating and I won but my youngest son Levi had a wooden sword and he man he popped my knuckles a few times and that mm, yeah had to be careful not to say some choice words and we got done and I was like admiring his sword and I picked it up and it, it was this like beautiful replica fully you know, detailed replica of like a medieval sword that somebody carved out of wood. I was just like, this sword is, a, I would have killed for a sword like this when I was a kid, you know? I always had swords made out of tobacco sticks. <laughs> Remember tobacco sticks? Remember when we didn't know smoking caused cancer and it was okay to, okay. Anyways, <laughs> we used to raise tobacco. We had tobacco sticks everywhere. That's what my swords were. But his was like this beautiful work of art. I was admiring it. I go, dude, this sword is awesome. I go, Where'd you get this sword? He's like, you got it for me for my birthday. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I read this post one time about parents. Are on, it's like the best part about being a parent is not getting the gifts at Christmas. It's seeing the delight in your children's eyes when they open their gifts at Christmas. And that I, I resonate with that. But for me, it's like I'm just as surprised as they are. Totally clueless. I think all the guys can relate. So I like, I like the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. Be patient when things get weird. Be patient when things get confusing. Be patient when relationships get strained. Be patient when you hear bad news. Why? Because God explained things after. And this is a question I have for you. What if 
the confusing circumstances, strained relationships, and negative news in your life right now are actually signs that God is present and working in your life. Because that is what Joseph discovered. What started as confusion would end up clarifying the purpose of his life. What started as something that almost ruined his closest relationship would become something that would be one of the greatest blessings in that relationship. What started for him as bad news would become the best news that the world has ever heard. So I want to highlight three things out of this story to encourage you this morning. And the first thing is, God can be working in your life, and you don't even know it. Genesis chapter 28, Jacob was in a similar situation that was confusing, relationships are strained, and he's, he's leaving, he's running away from home, running away from his family. And in this story, it's because of a sin he committed. He betrayed his brother, stole his birthright and blessing, deceived his father. They all find out his brother wants to kill him. So he has to flee. And in our context, it would be like you're living on the East Coast, you're fleeing to West Coast to get away. That's how far he was fleeing. And for the next 20 years, he would live estranged from his family. That's how bad this was. And while he was fleeing, he lays down one night and he has a dream. Now think about this, the worst moment of his life, the most confusing moment of his life, and it's his fault. It's because of something he did wrong. And God gives him one of the greatest supernatural dreams that any human being has ever had. You know when God likes to pour out grace on us? When we need it the most. And he has a dream of angels ascending and descending. I want to point out in the Christmas story, and if you read Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Joseph has five dreams in those two chapters. And it says an angel visited him in a dream. So sometimes our dreams are not metaphor. They are actually reality. Angelic visitations can happen in dreams. And so Joseph is in a dream in Genesis. And he sees angels ascending and descending on the ladder or on the stairway to heaven. And he wakes up. He wakes up, church. And he says, surely God is in this place and I was not aware. And then he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then he goes on his journey, finishes his journey, and for the next 20 years lives in the North Country. But if you read the rest of the story, you find out it says that God was with him. It says his father-in-law practiced divination, which is like witchcraft, and he didn't want him to leave when it was time to leave. And it, because he said, I found out through divination that the Lord is blessing me because of you. Jacob misinterpreted the dream. He said, surely God is in this place because this place is where I had the dream. 
But that place was not the house of God. He was. The, the Lord was showing him, I am with you. And where you are, there are angels ascending and descending. The Lord's presence was with him. In the most confusing time of his life, in a time when he had messed up the most, God was working. And I want to encourage you, church, it's the same for us. When things get confusing, weird, difficult, strained, sometimes it's because of our own stupidity. But sometimes it's because it's actually God moving and it's actually God working. But our tendency is to believe in those hard moments that God is absent, that God doesn't care. Or if you're like me and you know God is real, you start to believe maybe God's against me. Maybe I've done something wrong and he's, he's working against me. And that brings me to my second point. Sometimes the negative things that happen in our lives is God's strange work. God's strange work is him working all things together for our good, Scripture says. In Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things he works together for the good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Afflictions, sickness, disease, grief, pain, loss, brokenheartedness. These can be part of God's strange work to wake us up. And to turn us back to him. I wonder if there's anybody in here who could faithfully say that with the psalmist. That before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I live according to your word. I know I can say that. Let me translate that for you in my version. Before I was so young and stupid. When I was so young and stupid. And did a lot of stupid things before I'd really experienced some pain and suffering that woke me up from that, I was an idiot and did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. But then I suffered the consequences of that. It woke me up, and now I obey your word. That's true in my life. And so now I look back on those young Stupid days when I did a lot of sin, I did a lot of stupid things, and the consequences of that, which were not fun or pretty, and for me included having to go to court, for me included spending a night in jail one time, and some other things that I won't mention, the unmentionables. But those things served to wake me up and turn me back to Jesus. And I called upon his name. And something supernatural took place and he changed my heart. And he put a new spirit in me to where I didn't want to do those things anymore. And so this is this weird thing where I look back and I've heard other people say it this way. And this, this is how I would say it now too is I would never want to do those things again or live through those hard moments ever again. 
And yet I wouldn't change my story if I could. Because I'm so grateful. Because those that are forgiven much, love much. And I love God so much. And I wouldn't change that. But it's because I know how much grace he poured out on my life. I know how much I need him. Sometimes the negative things in our lives are God actually working. And I'll say this. All the time, God is working in the negative things of your life. Even your own sin. Even your own failure. God is working. God's strange work is that he takes pain, suffering, evil, and he turns it into good. And he is so good that he can turn those things he can use those things in such a way that a greater good results in the end, not in spite of those things, but even because those things happened. And we, by the way, we see this all throughout Scripture. The biggest question people ask down through history, why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? That's the number one. If God, if God is real and if he's all good, why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? And let me, I've preached whole sermons, whole sermon series on this subject. And let me just give it to you super brief. God is love. We are created in God's image. That doesn't mean our bodies look like God. God is spirit. It means the essence of who we are, our hearts, our spirits reflect God. In other words, we are created in the image of love. To love and be loved is the meaning of life. Now, being loved is, it loved is the easy part. Receiving God's love, receiving love from others. But you were created like God to be able to love, to express love. And you're made in his image that way. But for you to be able to do that, you have to have, I have to have total and complete free will. Because if God limits our choices, we're robots. And a gift that's demanded is no gift at all. And love that's demanded is not true love. So God made us to pour out his affection on us, but he also made us in his image to be able to love him back and to be able to love each other back. Look at the Ten Commandments, moral law. What is it all about? Helping us love each other and not harm each other. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in one of his epistles that the, saw is, the, the law is summed up in this, love does no harm to its neighbor. Love one another as yourself love does, because love does no harm to its neighbor. So what are the Ten Commandments? Don't hurt each other. <laughs> it's real simple. Don't do anything that's not loving. So why is there pain, suffering, evil? Because God is a lover. He made us to be able to love. Angels are free beings as well. They can make choices. And so a beautiful angel named Lucifer, which means son of the morning or the morning star or the light bearer, grew proud because he was so beautiful and so awesome and he wanted glory for himself and he rebelled against God and he started another kingdom. And the earth God gave to mankind. So this is the realm where we have authority and we listened to the deceiver so we handed him our authority. So we know, as John wrote in one of his letters, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Because anyone that's in sin, which by the way, is everyone on earth who's not repented yet. We're all born into it. Anyone that's not repented yet is still in it, which means the devil ultimately still has control and influence over your life. 
And that's what's going on in the world. So why is there pain, suffering, and evil? Because God's a lover? Because, because here's the answer, because God is love. That's why. Because God's not controlling. He's not a control freak. God is sovereign, and he's working all things out according to his beautiful, awesome plan. And if you, by your own free will, will give him permission and come into agreement with his plan, oh my goodness. That's when all the evil, people can do evil against you, and it becomes something more beautiful and awesome than if they had never done evil against you. And we see it all throughout scripture. The story of Joseph is a prime example. Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, who by the way, tried to kill him, ended up throwing him in a pit, beating him up, selling him into slavery. Modern day translation, they sold him into slavery. The, the human trafficking. That's what they did. And they shipped him off to another country. And then they went back to their family and, and took a robe, dipped it in blood and was like animal blood. And was like, oh, we found this. Oh, he's dead. And they, they covered it up through this whole plot. That's how bad of a crime they committed. And he's in slavery for 13 years. And it was through a spiritual gift of dream interpretation that God used to bring him out of that prison and into the palace and he became second in command of all of Egypt and he interpreted dreams at a very critical time in history when seven years of abundance came and then seven years of famine and he came he stored he was a very wise man he they Pharaoh gave him power and authority second in command stored up provisions after seven years of abundance the seven years of famine come and now the whole known world at that time the whole region all around Egypt what we call, you know, the Middle East is going to Egypt to get food. And guess who comes? His brothers. And they don't recognize him because he's so different. And he is a Christ-type figure because he shows grace to his, these people that were going to murder him and ended up just selling him into slavery and lying about it and covering it up. He shows them grace. And in Genesis 50, 20, he says, what you purposed or planned for evil God purposed or planned for good and what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Joseph never could have risen to such prominent influence in the world, position of influence and status. He was very wealthy because of this. He found his wife through this. He started having his children through this. And his whole family is reconciled and they all end up living together. And before all this, there was animosity towards him all the time. And after all this, it's all resolved. And they quote unquote live happily ever after. That, none of that goodness would have happened without this horrific badness. So, so when I hear people say, how in the world can God be so good if there's so much pain, suffering, and evil? Well, it's because God is love. We're sinful and evil. We have a spiritual enemy who hates our guts that's working and lots of other fallen angels and demons that are working to influence us away from the Lord God. That's why. But listen, God is so good. He will take our worst evil. He will take the enemy's worst evil. The worst things the enemy can do or cause us to do. And God will take them and make them part of his plan. And bring about greater good. Not in spite of the bad, but because it happened. 
And we see this most explicitly in the cross of Jesus Christ. It says, at the hands of sinful men, they crucified him. So the crucifixion of Jesus was a horrific, sinful act. And this is what God is using to save the world. The worst sin that human beings have ever committed. And he goes, I'll use that to prove how good I am. It says Judas entered, or yeah, Satan entered Judas when it was time to betray him. So literally possessed him. Took him over. Because Judas didn't believe and he had sin in his life. He was stealing. So there was an open door. And the devil took full advantage. But what did the devil do? Betrayed Jesus to get him killed. Now you put that with another verse that says, if the rulers of this world had known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. I do not think it's talking about Pilate and Herod. I believe it's talking about Satan and his council of demonic principalities or governors or rulers in the heavenly realms that were pulling the strings of Herod and Pilate and working in his own disciples to cause the most horrific betrayal to hurt Jesus's heart, to try to incite him to retaliation or anger or offense. And so if you're not catching what I'm saying yet, the crucifixion, I believe, was Satan's plan. And it was the worst sin that human beings could commit because Jesus is the perfect sinless son of God. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We die because we sin. We die naturally because we sin. Jesus never sinned. He's the fullness of God. Only begotten means God of God. So in his flesh, he's born of Mary. He's fully human, but he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's why Joseph's testimony is so important. As a witness, he's going, listen, guys, I didn't want to marry her. <laughs> it's not mine. And she did not sleep with anyone else. And I had angelic supernatural visitations. This is of God. So in his spirit, in his heart, he is literally the fullness of God. You and I are sons and daughters of God, lowercase s, lowercase d. He is the son of God, capital S, of the same divine essence. That's why he could live a sinless life, because he's God in flesh. So as a human, though, he didn't deserve to die. Yet he willingly allowed himself to be betrayed, misunderstood, and put on a cross. He said, make no mistake, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So catch this. Let's put all this together. The devil is planning the cross. Really sinful people are coming into agreement with it. They Think of how atrocious this is. The perfect son of God. I mean... Jesus told that story about the rich, the rich man named Lazarus and the beggar. Remember that story? And then they both die. And the poor man, the beggar, goes to be at, with Abraham in paradise. And, and the rich man goes to Hades or hell. Precursor to lake of fire hell, right? 
And he says, I'm in such torment. And he says, send, send the beggar to come and just put a little water on my tongue. And, and he's like, no, there's a great chasm. We can't pass over. And you received comfort in your life and you didn't help people and you didn't listen to God. And so now you're where you are and he's where he is. He received torment in his life and suffering and pain. And now he's being comforted for eternity. And he said, well, at least send someone to go warn my brothers. This man in hell and torment is saying this. And Jesus tells the story that Abraham says, no, they have Moses. They have the word of God. And they wouldn't believe even if someone rose from the dead and told them. Now keep in mind who's telling the story. Jesus. And Jesus knows what's coming. He knows the plan. And he knows when he rises from the dead, so many people are still not going to believe. I've heard atheists say, well, I would believe if God just showed up and told me. I would believe if he wrote it in the sky. If God's real, why doesn't he just show up? Why doesn't he tell me? He did. The question is, if God showed up again, would you believe him? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus came to the Jewish nation, his own people, and said, he didn't lie. He's like, I am the Messiah. I am God in flesh. I am the son of man. I am the son of David. This is who I am. And he did the miracle signs and wonders to prove it. He had the resume. He had John the Baptist preparing the way, another faithful witness. But they didn't believe him. And so think about this. God has come to save you, to love you, to tell you to your face, I'm here, it's me. Hello, your creator, I'm real. I want a relationship. Y'all have sinned, but it's okay. I'm going to make up for it. I just want my kids back. And they go, we don't believe you. You're the devil. And then they nail him to a cross. Before they nail him to the cross, though, they mock him, spit on him. They blindfold him and beat him up, punch him, and say, oh, who prophesy. You're a prophet? Prophesy. Who punched you? They spit on him. Oh, you're the Messiah? Come down off the cross. How horrifically evil was this? The cross was an evil act. And you, when you argue the fact that he had no sin, you can argue that this is the most evil act ever committed in history. At the hands of evil people, according to the devil's plan. And the Lord God saw it coming and goes, I like that. I'm going to use that. Because the human heart rages against God and says, how can God be good? Where is God in such an evil world? He's like, I'll show you where I am. You give me your worst sin. You give me the devil's plan. And I will use that to save you if you will receive it. That's how good God is. And so let me proclaim the gospel to you this morning. God does not cause the bad things in your life. God did not make you sick or give you sickness. That is the devil. That is a result of the fall. But God is so good. He goes, I'll use that to prove my goodness to you. God is so good, he takes the worst sin and brings about the best righteousness. God is so good, he takes the 
the, the worst act in human history and brings out the best thing in human history, the salvation of all who would believe. God is so good that by sin and death, he overcomes sin and death. Which means all the negative things in your life, all the bad things, even your own sin, even your own mistakes, God is able to go, I can use that. Oh, you sinned some more? All right, I'll just use that to help you love me more. Here's some more grace. Oh, sin is increasing, grace is abounding. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. What else do you got? Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. I don't know, everything's bad, everything's confusing, my, my, my closest relationships are strained and everything's confusing and I just got bad news. I'm not sure God's real. I, I'm not sure he's with me. He might even be against me. Stop believing the lies of the devil. God is with you. God is for you. He's working. This is the promise of Romans 8, 28. He is currently working all those things together for your good and his glory. And if you will be faithful, if you will just trust him, when you get to the end, you will look back and go, oh my goodness. Somehow you took all that and brought out a greater good, not in spite of it, even because of it. And it blessed me. It was for my good. And you got more glory out of my life. You see, I was born blind. And everybody said, oh, he sinned or his parents sinned or that they're cursed. That's a cursed family. God is against them. And the disciples, the people of God, were so bought into that theology that they asked Jesus. Notice the question. Even the question is in error. Who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? And some of you have cursed yourselves with theology of the devil, doctrines of demons. What did I do wrong to be born into this family? And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, no one sinned. But it was for the glory of God that the works of God might be displayed in your life. What did I deserve? What did I do to deserve to be born into this family? You didn't do anything. But it happened so that God could work a, such a glorious story in your life if you would believe it. If you would believe it. If you would give him your life. If you would give him your brokenness. Give him your mess. Give him your sin. Give him your pain, your trauma, your abuse. If you would trust him with it, he'll do it. We heard a powerful testimony last weekend of Pastor Ruth Irwin. Powerful testimony. Losing a parent at an early age, raped at an early age, homeless for the next five years of her life. <sighs> powerful story of God's grace. And the Lord told me to encourage her afterward, and, and, and what he gave me to tell her was some people's testimonies are more powerful because they've lived through such horror. Like God's a redeemer. He's going to make up. Anyone who believes in him, he's going to make up for. That's what redeem means. Make up for whatever you've been through. So if you've been through worse, you've just got more grace and more glory coming. And I told Pastor Ruth, 
this is the revelation God gave me. God has poured out more grace on your life to make up for the worst things that you've been through. And when you share your testimony, more grace gets imparted. It's like a story of a young boy I once heard who had a terminal diagnosis at a young age. And somebody, he was a believer. Somebody asked him, aren't you upset with God that he allowed this in your life? And he goes, oh, it's okay. He has all of eternity to make it up to me. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Don't you believe what the word says? That this life's a blink, it's a vapor, and then it's eternity? And Jesus is telling you this poor beggar suffered his whole life. Now he's being comforted for eternity. So how dare we hold evils in this life? Well, children are starving in Africa. And that God has all of eternity to make it up to them. Where is your faith? Our hearts rage against God because of the evil, pain, and suffering. That's not his fault. He's not doing that. But he has made a free world. What's God doing? I'm telling you this. Wherever you look and see pain, evil, and suffering, the worst kind, you will see people of God there moving and working and God through them doing miracles and working wonders. If you have eyes to see, you will see it. All over the world now. All nations now, that's happening. All over the world. When a world crisis happens, who are the first people in? The Christians. The church of Jesus Christ. Because it's our commission to represent him all over the world. Why do hospitals exist? Because Christians started caring for each other and for lost broken people why why does adoption exist because christians in the first and second century started taking in orphans in a roman culture where if you're born handicapped you're gonna die because you get abandoned because they believed you're cursed and i've been to countries in africa where they still believe that if you're born handicapped you're cursed whoa you're cursed we gotta we we literally put you out on the street and good luck and guess who takes care of those kids christians who go, that's not true. This is the result of a fallen world and the devil and our unbelieving hearts that a parent would do that to you. Let me show you who God is. I'm going to take you in. We're all Mephibosheth. We've been crippled by a fall we had nothing to do with. But the king comes and says, don't worry. Let me make that up to you the rest of your life and give you a seat at the king's table. You've done nothing to deserve it. That's all of us. Where's your faith? I know it's been hard. I know it's been confusing. I know the relationships are strained. I know you just got bad news. I know you're going, where are you, God? And that's how the disciples felt on Saturday night. When they put all their hope and faith in Jesus, and he just got killed. And in a moment when it seemed like God was most absent and things were most confusing. And by the way, we all failed him. We all weren't good enough. We all fell away. We didn't support him. Peter denied him. It's over. He's dead, and, and we've all messed up too much. 
And Jesus rose from the dead and began to proclaim the gospel to them. And do you know what? Oh, my goodness. You know what the first words he said to them was? Receive the Holy Spirit. Last time we met them and Jesus was their worst sin against Jesus. They fell away from him. They didn't support him. Peter denied him. And he walks in after being killed and acts like it never happened. He goes, receive the Holy Spirit. See, I died to cover all of that. Receive the Holy Spirit. And he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Receive the Holy Spirit. But I'm too bad of a person. Jesus just walks in this room right now and goes, receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I receive the Holy Spirit. But my spouse cheated on me and then they left me. And now they receive the Holy Spirit. He is able to make up the difference. God is working in your life, especially when you're unaware. And God will take the worst things that happen in your life, whether you're, they're your fault or not, somebody else's fault, and he will use them for your greater good to bless you more and for his glory. You know why? He gets more glory out of blessing you more. He gets more glory out of pouring out more grace on your life. If you will trust him. Because you still have free will. You can still do it your way. You can still curse God and die, as Job's wife told him to do. <laughs> he had a choice. But he didn't curse God. Now, he complained, and he said, I don't understand. And his friends were saying, it's because you sinned. It's because you sinned. It's because you sinned. And he's like, it's not because I sinned. And man, if, if only God were a man, and if only he were here, and if only I could reason with him and plead my case... It's not because I've sinned. I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this amount of suffering. And God comes and humbles Job. Then he humbles all of his friends. And like, you're wrong. It's not because he sinned. He was actually right. And now I'm going to forgive you by having him pray for you. And then he pours out a double portion on Job's life. To make up the difference. To redeem what he had been through. Who was responsible? We see it in the first chapter of the book. The devil said, I'm going to go after him. So let's not blame God for the bad things in our lives. But let's praise God <laughs> for how he is going to use them for good. A greater good. The glory of redemption. And this is my last point that I want to encourage you with today. It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, I want to point out that, yes, things were super confusing. He's headed down a wrong path because he just doesn't realize what's going on. And, yes, he eventually does have his own angelic encounter like Mary. Praise God. And, and it's, a mo it's, a, it's an encounter with God where God clarifies what's really going on. And some of you today might be like, man, I've, that would be great. I've never had an angelic encounter. So, see, 
I deserve to sit in my pit and complain and not trust God. The word for angel in the Greek, it literally just means messenger. God sent a messenger to wake him up, to help him see what was really going on. And this messenger happened to be an angel. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, church, I'm no angel. <laughs> but I am a messenger. And God gave me this message. And this is what he wanted me to tell you. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up and realize God is in your life and do what he's calling you to do. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told him. But I want to point out, it was the simple thing that he had been planning to do all along. He had this plan that seemed like a good one to take this young girl Mary home as his wife. But then things got messy, things got weird, things got really negative, relationships were strained, bad news, confusing circumstances, and then all of a sudden he second guesses what the Lord was telling him to I don't know about this now, I don't know about this now, I don't know about this now. And God sends a messenger, wakes him up, and says, do what I've been telling you to do. And you will see the glory of God. So God sent me here this morning to wake you up. Last night, they did not get this message. I spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how long I spoke. But it was a while. And I realized after that while, I said, open your Bibles to Matthew 1. And I just started going on the gospel. And it was probably 45 minutes to, it was, it was longer than that. It was like an hour or more. And I said, you know what, I don't think we're getting to Matthew 1 tonight. But they heard the gospel. And we got done, and this older lady came up. It was the mother of someone who attends church here, who had come on Saturday night. And she said, young man, the Lord gave me a word for you. I said, okay, what is it? And she said, you know, I didn't care for your music. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. She said, I like the old hymns. This was her talking, not the Lord yet. <laughs> she said, Silent Night would have been nice, acapella. I said, maybe we'll do that tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Then she said, but, and this part was, but you got the spirit. And the Lord told me to tell you, wake him up. And I just said, thank you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, and you had no idea the message I did not preach tonight. So I know. The Lord sent me here to tell you, it is time to wake up. God gave me this message about seven years ago as I was reading my Bible. And I wrote the notes in the margin. And I've never preached it. 
And a few months ago, I read Matthew 1 again, and the Lord said, you're preaching that this Christmas. So this message has been about seven years in the making. But we're preaching a story that's been thousands of years in the making. And it's brought you all to this moment to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to respond and to use your free will and open up your heart and to profess your faith and say, I believe I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And the scripture says, if you will profess him as Lord, you will be saved for all who call upon his name will be saved. Legal transaction takes place. You talk to the judge of the universe, the highest court over every human court, over the people that misjudge you, over the people that still hold every offense that you committed against them, against you. With God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Appeal to a higher authority today and say, God, I want you to forgive my sin. And I'm going to do the best of my ability to live how you want from this point. So you're saying to the judge, listen, I promise the rest of my life I won't do what I've been doing. I'm going to try to live if you will forgive me. And if you make that profession, he says, you're forgiven. Baptism in water is a pledge of your good conscience towards God. That means you're pledging to God because of the cross and this awesome free gift you've offered me. I'm going to do the best of my ability to live how you want me to live. You're not promising to be perfect because you're not going to be perfect. But when you mess up as you're following Jesus, you go, and he shows you, and he will show you. <laughs> Tozer said that the, God does not put the Holy Spirit in any man and then let him live like the world. So he's, he's going to let you know when you mess up. And I praise him for it. When he lets me know that I mess up. Thank you, God, for your correction. Thank you, God, for your discipline. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your training. But when you mess up, you admit it and go, okay, sorry, Lord, help me. Help me grow in this. And the Holy Spirit gives you more grace. And you grow in Christ. It's, it's the process of sanctification. It's growing in him. But when you come to salvation, you're just making that pledge. I'm the best of my ability, I'm going to honor you. And if I mess up, I'll get right with you. And I'll keep going. And I'll receive more grace because the cross paid for that too. And listen, if you're here today, this is Christianity. This is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. And if you've ever wondered, but how do you receive that? The, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. The gift of God. It's like he's wrapped forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation and eternal life all in one package. It says every spiritual gift is in Christ. It says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. <laughs> he is the gift. And it's all in him. And that's why Jesus said, whoever has to, more, to them, more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken. What does that mean? If you have Jesus, oh man, you're going to get Jesus and so many more blessings. It's going to be amazing. Every spiritual blessing. You get it all and more. If you don't have Jesus, even what you have, your very life will be taken from you. That's what it means. So the greatest, every conceivable, awesome blessing gift you could ever imagine, eternal life, every spiritual blessing, access to the Father, answered prayer, healing in your body, healing in your soul, mind, will, and emotions, freedom from the oppression of the devil. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. And that gift is under every single person's proverbial Christmas tree. 
And the reason you see God working in some people's life is not because they're better people. I'm, I've seen God work miracles. I've seen him answer my prayers. He's blessed me beyond my comprehension. But it is not because I'm a good person. It's because at some point I was so broken and humbled. And he so broke my own pride by the consequences of my own actions that I finally humbled myself and admitted what an idiot I was and said, you're right, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you. And in that moment, I unwrapped the gift and a flood of his grace came pouring out. And he's not let up pouring it out since. He says, I'm giving you grace this morning in place of grace already given. And so he's poured out grace on your life. And let me prophesy to you this Christmas, he's got more grace to pour out. But you've been holding on to a past season. You've been holding on to what you wanted. You've been holding on to your own selfish pride. You've been holding on to what your version of God's dream looked like for your life. And he's saying, please just lay it down again. But God, you gave me this. Lay it down again. Put it back on the altar. But God, you led me into this job. God, you led me into this family. And things have been great and we've been blessed. Lay it on the altar again today. And watch what I will do, God says. In place of grace already given. He's got more grace. He's got bigger dreams. You can't outdream God. Your plan sucks. So lay it on the altar anyway. I remember being about eight or ten years old. And my dad's an artist. He's really good. So we liked art in our family. And I was trying to draw. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to get prophetic. God is calling. <laughs> if that's my phone, I want to be so embarrassed. It's not. Okay, stop. <sighs> my dad's an artist. I, I like to draw growing up. We all did. I was trying to draw. I was never very good at it. And I got a book on how to draw super, superheroes. And I was figuring it out. I started to get a little proud of myself. And I drew the Wolverine. And man, I was like, no, that's good. <laughs> he was in this pose. He was like this with his claws. He had muscles. I did them kind of right. And I was like, they, they're going to hire me to be a comic book artist. <laughs> I was so proud of that drawing. Showed it to everybody. I couldn't understand why people were like, yeah, good job. <laughs> and it got put away. My mom keeps things, you know. She put it away. And I found that drawing like five years later. <laughs> I pulled it out. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> That's you planning your own life. You think it looks really awesome. God's like, That's so stupid. We're in prayer. We try to figure out the right thing to pray so we can pray it so we can see it happen. And God's like, you're so far off. 
It's not even funny. And if I did that, you think it would be good? That's like not even 1% of the goodness I want to do, if you'll trust me. But it's got to be my way. It's got to be my plan. So he's calling you to trust him this morning. And if you will trust him, you will initiate a process of redemptive grace that makes up for any bad you've ever done, any bad ever done against you, and anything the devil plans against you and brings against you. God's like, you know what? Why does God let the devil do things? Because I think God delights in taking what the devil tries to use to kill us to bring about the greatest work of God in our lives. Because God loves it to rub it in his face. If you will trust him. If you don't trust him, you're on your own. That gift is under your tree. But you've got to unwrap it and receive it. As many preachers have said, God wrote you a check for the full balance. And to make you rich beyond comparison in here. And you have that check. It's in your hand. It's in your hand this morning. He's given it, placing it right in your hand, but you've got to take it to your bank and cash it. That's what you've got to do. That's your decision. And if you go, this is what a lot of people do. Yeah, sounds too good to be true. No thanks. And he comes to that which are his own and his own do not receive him. And that happens. But to those who do receive him today, he gives the right to become children of God. Glory. Not born of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of the spirit of God. And so if you're born of God, the devil can't take that. The devil can't take you out of Jesus' hand. The devil can't change your identity. The devil can't blot out your name from the book of life. You need Jesus. And so I want to give you an opportunity as we close today in worship. I'm going to ask the band to come on up and get ready to lead us into this. And I just want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ by faith. And the scriptures say, how do you unwrap that gift? Real simple. You profess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. <clears throat> Lord means he's God. Lord means I'm going to live the best that I can to please him the rest of my life. So I'm turning from sin. I'm turning from my selfish desires. And I'm trusting God. And I'm receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. You profess with your mouth. You say that simple prayer. And then Jesus says you get baptized in water. And if you're ready to do that today and you want to do that today, you can do it right now. We've got packets of clothes. You come up front, talk to one of our ministry team members. We'll get you the clothes. You can get changed. We've got towels. You can get baptized. And I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything in this place today, physical healing, emotional, mental stuff, relational things, just stuff in your life, provision, our ministry team's available, and I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer from them as we worship. And we'll see what God does, and if people are responding, we'll enjoy that together. But let's close today just responding to Jesus and what he's doing in this place. So would you guys stand with us? And I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to.
worship Jesus together. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence, and I thank you that you work all things together for our good. I thank you for the bad things you allow to happen in our lives so that you can bless us even more. And I thank you that the greatest blessing is knowing you. You are the gift. And uh, we receive you today. (laughs) And Jesus, I'm so sorry there's times that I haven't received you. There's times I haven't made room for you in my life. 